The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 5. This is Writing Excuses, viewpoint as world building. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And one of my personal favorite topics, perhaps even hobby horses, is to talk about how to world build by using character viewpoint. I love it when books do this. In fact, it is one of the things that when I pick up a book, if the first chapter does, the first page does, I know I'm going to have a good time, at least with that character. I really like it. I want to talk about how we do it. So how do you make setting an integrated part of your characters? I think a lot of it is the way the character interacts with it, not just physically, but also emotionally, that the the weight that things carry. So using Jane Austen as an example, you know, someone can, like two characters can look at each other and that's that's no big deal. But when Austen handles it, she gives you that emotional weight. It's like, she, uh, and I'm thinking specifically in Persuasion, there's this scene when Captain Wentworth pulls a small child off of Anne Elliot's back and there's a moment where he's touching her. And and the the emotional weight of that tells you as a modern reader that, oh, there's no touching. And this is there is a lot going on between these two. And it it is it it gives you all of these layers of detail while just being a physical interaction in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing that I find very interesting. You know, one very similar to that is in Age of Innocence Mm. uh, when he takes her glove off. Yeah. And it is so steamy and it's just a glove, but it tells you so much about the world and and what it's like and the rules they have to follow. Yeah. Yeah, you do that. Uh, That's actually one of the things that I enjoy in the Stormlight is the uh, the safe hand. Right. Right. The safe hand came from, so for those aren't familiar, um, society has eroticized the bare left hand of women. Um, and uh, this has all kinds of social implications and all kinds of, and people always want to ask me, they want to say, why? They often come to me, they, why, why is this? Well, and I can answer 
from like, I, you know, in the world building the past, I'm like, well, there were these events and these influential writings that happened. And then there was the kind of some institutionalized sexism. But really the answer is why? Because that's how their culture is. (laughs) And that's how they see things. It's not why, because they are like, well, Mm -hmm. when my great, no, they're just like, this is how my culture is. And then that culture becoming a big part of how people see the world is the sort of thing that I just love. And and you just look at, all the different cultures in Earth today and the, th- the cultural assumptions that we carry and assume are common to the entire human race. Mm-hmm. And then you go to another country and it's they've never even heard of it before. And you yeah. realize that we do this all the time. Yeah. Last season, um, we had an episode on confronting the default in which we talked about exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I wrote, I think it was Scrap Ante for Privateer Press, um, they wanted me to develop a character for them, develop an existing character. They wanted me to give a POV to a character who was a mechanic. And this, they've got game fi- they've got game stuff surrounding this guy already, who is a mechanic, and he needed to sound like a mechanic, and they wanted to talk a little bit about how these things work. And and then it needed to not be boring. And so I created a mystery in which someone is sabotaging a warjack. And in as lean writing as I could, I have this mechanic digging in and finding out that somebody has swapped a part that looks like another part. And he has names for all of these, and he's rattling them off the way a mechanic would. And in the course of writing this, I started lifting names and altering them a little bit from actual steam engines and diesel engines, and whatever else. And when I sent it into the Privateer Press guys, uh, uh, Doug, who's the chief world builder, read it and said, you have done something that I've been terrified to do forever, which is explain how these things work. <laughs> um, they, I, they loved it. And it read like a fun story, and it was all POV. It was not... Uh, oh, this is how the magic flows through the whatever. It's just a guy fixing a thing and looking for a problem and then determining that somebody had sabotaged this to kill him. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So um, an example from, from one of my books in the Partial series, one of the things that I wanted to play with for the world building was the generational divide. People who remember life before the apocalypse and the kids who've grown up in a post-apocalyptic world. And so... I had the chance then to start with two or three chapters entirely from this teenage point of view, just describing a normal world. She didn't think it was scary. She wasn't constantly concerned with the things that they had lost. And then we finally get to a meeting with adults and they spend their whole time bemoaning how, you know, rustic everything is. And just the difference between their attitudes immediately tells you a lot about the world and the society. Yeah, and that's one of the things I like the most is when you can take two different characters and describe the same thing, the same event, mm-hmm. or the same cultural moray. And then with those two contrasting opinions, the reader is given a bunch of information. They're, number one, told about the thing, right? You're getting the world building. But you're, number two, told about the characters. You're told what they find important and valuable or what they, what they notice. But number three, you're also told viewpoint is untrustworthy which yes. is a really important thing with these sorts of stories. Yeah. And that can make it very difficult. And if you want to do that, that's something that you might need to refine and polish quite a bit because your readers of the first or second draft might say, oh, you've got an inconsistency here. No, I don't. You need to look at who is saying it. 
And maybe I need to finesse this a little bit so that that is more clear. The number of times I have taken an inconvenient fact about the schlock mercenary universe and backtracked it to determine who said it (laughs) and then ascertained, oh, that person is actually allowed to be wrong about this. Did the narrator ever? Nope. Narrator, did a footnote ever? Nope. Oh, this is awesome. (laughs) This is awesome. I am off the hook. Yeah, I have. uh, There's a a timeline problem in the uh, Lady Astronaut universe. Uh, because when I wrote the novelette, I was just like, well, it's a one-off, and I wrote it, and, and I didn't do a lot of world building. And, uh, and, and basically, when I got into doing the, the actual hardcore, how long does it take to get people into space, when you're kickstarting a, a space program, I'm like, oh, Elma's just wrong about some of, the th- <laughs> some of her memories. She's just conflating. Just misremembering. Just, just misremembering. I run into this a lot, um, but it is nice to establish viewpoints are untrustworthy for this sort of reason. Yeah. So a book that I'm reading right now that's um, that's doing a really interesting job of this shifting viewpoint is uh, Semiosis by Sue Burke. And it's a multi-generational novel. So you you will move forward like an entire generation and it's a, it's a colony world. So the first generation are the first people on the planet. And then the next generation are kids who've grown up there. And the way they view their parents versus... The, and it, the world building is fascinating because they're, you see how they are shifting and how the culture is shifting to adapt to the place that they're living. It's really, really interesting. Uh, and it's all POV that's doing it. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Now, that is not our book of the week, but it would be a good book for people to read. Yeah. Uh, Dan actually has our book of the week. Yeah, the book of the week actually hits this topic perfectly. It is Children of Blood and Bone 
by Tomi Adeyemi, which is uh, a YA fantasy, big secondary world fantasy set in uh, a world inspired by Africa. And what's fascinating about it, many things are fascinating about it, but pertinent to this discussion, there are three viewpoint characters. Uh, It's a world where magic has been stolen. No one can do it anymore. And the people who used to be able to do it are an oppressed class. And so one of our viewpoints is one of these kind of former mage people. Then we have a princess who has been sheltered her entire life and runs away from home. And then we have her brother who is struggling with the king's policies. And so they all have completely different ideas about what the world should look like and what it does Mm -hmm. look like and how they want to change it. And it's really fascinating to see the interplay of those viewpoints as you go through. Excellent. And that is Children of Blood and Bone. I was on a panel with her, and she was really interesting, had some really cool things to say about magic. So um, I anticipate it being a great book. Emily really liked it. Yes, and she describes the book as Black Panther, but with magic. Yes, she does. Now, one of my favorite ways to use viewpoint and world building and to intersect them is by the way the characters describe other characters. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I first picked up on this as a young person reading The Wheel of Time, where, and I'm not going to be able to quote these exactly, I'm sorry, Wheel of Time fans, but you have one character who would describe someone and say, wow, they look like they spend most of their day at the forge. And then another character describes the same person and says something along the lines of, wow, if you beat that person at cards, leave early because otherwise they'll jump you in the back alley. And those two descriptions are both, this is a tough, intimidating person, but seen through Mm -hmm. the eyes of two very different characters. And I love this sort of thing, description. Now, my question for you guys is, do you ever worry about the blend of when you're in narrative, how much you're going to let the character's voice direct the narrative, and how much you're not? And it does depend uh, on whether, you know, which voice you're using. Are you mm-hmm. using first person or using right. tight third? Because, you know, first person, right. all over the place. Yeah. It's no problem. But with tight third, uh, or with third person, it is it is a tricky line because what I find is that the, unless it's it's very obviously voicey, that the the reader will interpret that as being safe and trustworthy. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so I tend to try to be fairly honest when I am doing um doing narration that is less flavored than when I'm doing something that you know if I'm doing free and direct speech yeah. I try to that's I try to reserve the uh the perceptions for those. Yeah, I always kind of go back and forth on this because, of course, Robert Jordan did very much a lot of tight thirds. And there would be these moments where it felt like it was right in their head and other times when the narrator was speaking. And he balanced it really well. And I'm always a little scared about that, you know, because you do want the narrator, the non-present narrative, the narrative to be trustworthy. But you want the viewpoint of the character to maybe not be. Yeah, sometimes it's a thing that you can do. Um, I'm, I was just reading um, uh, The Killing of Kings by uh, Howard Andrew Jones, um, and it's it's not, at the time of recording, it is not yet out. Um, but one of the things that he does is there's this character who's constantly, male character who is constantly 
looking at women with a very male gaze, like constantly looking at at boobs and ass and just all the time. And and then we'll say things like, I don't understand why this woman doesn't like me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, right. And wow. Yeah. It's like, she's always so cold and distant and there's always a piece of furniture between us. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> yes, there is. Absolutely. Yes, there is. But it is, it's deftly handled because it is, he's staying absolutely true to the character's point of view, but by giving us very obvious physicality and, and recognizable uh, body language from, from the other character, he's, he's telling us how this, how this behavior is actually perceived in the world. And later in the year, we're going to do an entire week on writing imperfect worlds mm-hmm. or imperfect characters with using topics like this, not validating, but acknowledging that some people are like this. And we will cover that. It's going to be, it's going to be in a few months, but we are going to get to that. Uh, and that is, that is one of the, that's like using viewpoint and character level 501, yeah. being able to pull <laughs> off some of this stuff. Um, before we go out, any tips for writers on making their sentences, particularly their world-building sentences, do more than one thing at once? Um, what, what do these people swear by? I love that. Um, my, my favorite examples of this currently are from the, the various different NPCs in the ESO world where they they swear by different gods and and they are consistent in the way this works um and it adds a measure of it as a adds a measure of death depth because some of them will swear by those gods and somebody who is from the same culture will never utter those words and you can now tell that those t- people are actually different and that's not the sort of thing that you expect to see, well, if you grew up with video games, it's not the sort of thing that you expect to see in a video game, but video game writing has progressed to the point that we are expecting that level of world building, especially in dialogue that has to be read by an actor in a way that sounds conversational and believable. You know, very similar to that, and I'm starting to notice this more as I read uh, the, in the current science fiction that I'm reading, is what are people allowed to make jokes about? Mm. Um, and which jokes can come from which species in the space station yep. and things like that? I would say for me, the the tip that I would hand to our, our listeners is um, to make sure that your character is interacting with their environment, uh, which is where I started us. But I, I'm going to give a, a really concrete example. Like I can describe a room and say, the room had marble floors, tall vaulted ceilings, and green velvet curtains. And that tells you what the room looks like. But if I say, you know, my character's heels clacked across the marble floor as she strode to the window, the velvet was soft against her skin as she pushed the curtains back, you know so much more about the character and and the world. So you're getting both things at the same time. And I think that that's going to make it feel richer to the reader as well. Awesome. Howard, you've got some homework for us. I do. This is the This is the from within, from without episode. The... Uh, Buck Rogers, Wilma During, the two-flower Rincewind, um, take a character who is alien to the culture or the setting 
um, that you are writing within, um, but, you know, obviously has a reason to be there um, and describe things from their point of view and now describe those same things from the point of view of a native, somebody who's grown up there, who's been there, who is familiar with it. Excellent. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.